We're going to move directly into the book of Ephesians. We're going to go to chapter 4. We're in the last two verses of chapter 4, and then we start into chapter 5 this morning. We're in this kind of awkward section, and it's awkward only because the Apostle Paul basically about 15 verses ago kind of started this semi-rant where he's just walking through this list of, um, I forget how many, there's like 22 total in this list of wardrobe changes. He uses the metaphor of changing clothes um, to describe these changes in who we are when we become a Christian. And so here's how we used to live. Here's how we need to be living as believers in Christ. And so we're walking through that last week, this week, and next week. And then we move on into some more fun, exciting stuff. We get to talk about marriage. We get to talk about wives submitting to their husbands. Can I tell you how much I'm looking forward to that one? So I may hand that off to one of the other teaching pastors and um, then be on vacation that week. Um, that might be the best thing for my marriage. It, 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 you know, just, it's just hard subjects. But in all the hard subjects, we have to remember one simple truth. Whether it's this wardrobe change we're in the middle of right now, or whether it's how we behave and work in our marriages and in our family and in our work and in our employers, and then ultimately how we interact and deal with the spiritual conflict that takes place in all of those things. It boils down to one simple truth. We're here and we're in this moment and we're in the midst of this particular list and these changes because Jesus made a difference. However we heard that, whether it's as you've heard this morning about kids at youth camp, kids at children's camp next week and preteen camp in the next couple of weeks, whether it was a vacation Bible school, whether it was a Bible study teacher, whether it was a parent that talked to you as a kid, whether you were like many of us, you knew you were an adult, and and it, it made sense. Suddenly it made sense. It wasn't about religion. It wasn't about church. It wasn't about structure or organization. It was about knowing God in a personal way. And you made that decision. You said, yes. If Jesus is really this person, if Jesus is really this loving, if Jesus is really this caring, and he's willing to forgive me to the point he came here, lived and taught and experienced everything here just like we do, pain, sorrow, grief, as well as victory and excitement and and enjoyment, and then gave it all up by dying on the cross for one single reason that I might be able to know him, that I might be able to be forgiven of my sins and I might be able to have a new life. If Jesus' actions brought me into that relationship and I came to that conclusion and I said, yes, yes, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. Now, there is automatically in that decision a transition that takes place because we can't be the same. Before we knew God, we could be one thing apart from and completely distant from anything that's a reflection of his holiness and his majesty and his power as well as his compassion and love because we didn't know any better. But now we know better. And it just simply doesn't make sense to know God and to know better and not embrace the change that comes with that. Now, everything in this list, this is part of the complication of this list, everything in this list will feel like at times, like, oh, I need to do this. And the reality is, I can't do this. 
This wardrobe change that, that the Apostle Paul is talking about, these 20-something different items, aren't things I can accomplish. They're not even things I need to accomplish in order to get God's approval. Jesus already accomplished everything. These bring me in alignment, and that's the very last one we're going to look at today before we close out. These help me look like Jesus. And so these aren't accomplishing salvation. These aren't accomplishing or securing heaven for me. These, these aren't the means by which I barter or, or, or somehow create a trade with God and say, okay, I'm going to do these things and I'm going to give up these things and then you're going to let me into heaven or you're going to like me. No, no, he already loves us so much. Even if we refuse him, he still loves us and wants us to spend eternity with him. These are the things that are a reflection of that reality. It's already in my life. And so the worst decision you can make today, the absolute worst thing that could happen in this teaching is you look at this list and you, you walk out of here and you say, okay, I'm gonna do better. Bing, 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 bing. I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna check these off so that God's happy. If, if that's how we leave today, then we missed everything. For one thing, you'll fail. I'm just gonna tell you right now, upfront and honest, you will not be able to do it. Everything's against you. Your own nature is against you. Cultural nature is against you. The systems are against you. You will not succeed. You can only do this by knowing Jesus. But if you walk out of here today and say, you know what, Christ, there's some improvements that can be made. You love me, you care for me, I trust you, you have forgiven me, you have promised me heaven, you have promised me home with you, and I'm ready to experience that, and I want to this week do better so that I reflect the truth of your love. Help me this week do some of these things, make some corrections. The corrections are because we met Jesus. We understand this in a very, very, very elementary level. Many of us could tell you certain relationships we have that improved who we were. When I met Carrie, I, I lived by the philosophy of just getting by in just about every area of my life. Carrie's my wife. Some of you are new. You haven't had a chance to meet her yet. Um, she's the best part of our family. When I met her, I can literally show you a graph. Because here's my transcript, all through high school, all through college. I meet Jesus and it bumps up a little bit. Not because of Jesus, but because I just didn't really see why Jesus needed good grades. And so, and I'm cruising along, and I made the mistake of being the back guy in the class, the, you know, the low, low end of the scale, and dating the highest end of the scale. And suddenly, suddenly, grades mattered. I mean, do you really want the valedictorian to go out with you when you just are scraping by at the registrar's office every month? And you can look at my transcript, boom. It just shoots up. It changed my life meeting her. I wanted to do things different. I didn't do them to help have her approve of me. I didn't do, there were a lot of things I still do to have her approve of me because I want that. But the relationship changed me. And that's the key. I'm always hesitant when we come into these lists as we study the books of the Bible to, to hit these lists because it will feel like a checklist. But it's not a checklist. It, it is 
commandments. They're written as commandments. The, the technical English, the Greek language that's translated into English are imperatives. These are commandments. These are things we're supposed to do, but we can never forget we're supposed to do them because we already know Jesus. We've already met Jesus and he's already changed our lives. We're just making improvements until we get to heaven. And that's okay. We're not earning anything. We've received everything out of his grace, out of his love. And now we're celebrating that. And it's a continual process of change. And so we'll look at this list this week. We'll look at the rest of the list next week. We'll look at something else in a few months. I'll look at something in my private time studying the scriptures. We'll, we'll constantly be seeing things that can be improved and make us more like God. More like the one who changed everything in our lives. That guy that just barely made it through high school and college, just cruising along. Now, today, I came to the realization a little while back, a few months ago, is actually an expert on several academic areas, has taught graduate level theology, and has over 3,500 books he needs to get rid of before we move to the new campus because there's no office in the new campus and there's no place to store 3,500 books and that girl that I like to please so much doesn't want them in her sewing room and so they're, they're not going to the house and I'm, and I'm not giving up my gaming room for them either. So um, if you see some books spread out at some point in time, all of those changes because I met her. All of these changes because we met Jesus, because we met him. And so we're not earning anything. So, so in a sense, sit back, kind of relax for just a moment. Take a deep breath. There's no test. There is a sort of a final because we are accountable for what we do with the grace that God's given us. But even in that moment, Scripture's clear. God loves us and his grace overwhelms our efforts in the right kind of way. So let's start back into the list. We're in Ephesians chapter four, we're in verse 30. We start back into the list and we jump straight in with the commandment and the, 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 the impetus to be compassionate, to be kind, and to be loving because we met Jesus and we know how kind, we know how compassionate, we know how loving he is. And so his people, his followers, his family should behave like him. This is what Paul says, Ephesians chapter four, verse 31. He's just told us to not grieve the Holy Spirit in verse 30. Now in verse 31, he says, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander. Man, what a list. You don't even wanna know that guy. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you. Here's the wardrobe change. That's the language that Paul's using. He's describing this change. Literally, we're taking those rags off and we're putting on new fashion. Get rid of all, all the malice and be kind and compassionate to one another and forgiving one another. And I love this part. This is how it all ties back to Jesus. That's why we've got to understand that first principle before we look at any of these. Just as God also forgave you in Christ. You will never meet an individual in your life 
that your forgiveness of that person's harm against you is greater than the forgiveness God has already given you. And that's tough. I have a very close friend. I was on the phone with him this morning dealing with some health issues in his family. His mother was viciously murdered in her living room. And he's shared that testimony with many of us. He shared it with me multiple times. We talked about it again this morning because of some of the issues that are going on in his family and the necessity to forgive her. If I've ever known anybody, and I could give the details of the brutal attack, but I'm not going to. If I've ever known anybody, I couldn't look at it and say, you know what? That's, that's just too hard. That, that's more than God's ever done. You, you, know, you, don't, you don't have to forgive. It would be him. But he admits, after years of struggling with that, and all of these things, the anger, the bitterness, the wrath, the things that come with having that kind of traumatic experience in your life, in your family, to somebody you deeply love, deeply care for, he would say, alongside of me, and he gives me permission to share it. No. Even as horrible as that was, that doesn't even compare to the forgiveness Jesus gave me on the cross. So throw the rags away. Jesus forgave every aspect of your life, not only what you've already done, but, and this is a little bit of a mind blower for me, this is hard to process, but he's even forgiven everything he knows we're going to do now that we don't know better. Before I was a Christian, I didn't know better, and I still needed to be forgiven for my sin. Now, I know better and I still sin and that forgiveness is so much more complex to me because Jesus knew that when he became my savior, when he forgave me, when he loved me, he knew I was gonna sin again and he knew he was gonna have to forgive me again and he knew I was gonna have to confess that sin and he knew I was gonna have to deal with it all over again and he's still willing because his forgiveness is so in-depth, it is so huge, it's beyond our comprehension. So it's not beyond our comprehension that we should live like him, that we should be kind and compassionate to one another and forgiving one another just as God also forgave us. It is hard, I am not making up any excuses here. It is hard, it is difficult, it is painful, it is a struggle, and some people struggle with it all their life. But it can be done. And after all, I want every day that I know Jesus to be a greater reflection of what Jesus did on that day. I, I know, because I was an adult when I made the decision to trust Christ, I know exactly what day Jesus came into my life. I know exactly what time of day. I know down to the very last minute, it was 10.32, when I bowed my head and said, yes, Jesus, I want to know you. I didn't know exactly what happened on that day. But I've spent my entire life trying to live up to what was accomplished at 1032 that Saturday night. Not because I have to to earn it or to keep it. I mean, think about that. I, it amazes me that there are still Christians in the world if they have read the Bible and are convinced they can lose their salvation. How can you, how can you possibly lose something you never earned in the first place? 
It was never yours to begin with. It was the grace of God that gave it to you in the first place, and only the grace of God is going to secure it. And over and over and over again in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, God makes it clear. Once I've got you, I will take care of you. I will protect you. I will hold on to you. So correcting my life and doing the wardrobe change allows me to throw off the filthy rags of all that anger, that malice, that bitterness, all of that stuff, throw all of that off and put on the new fashion that Christ has for me, one that looks like him. And thank God it is not a robe and it is not sandals. I'm not much of a sandal guy. No offense, we are inclusive. If you wear sandals, it's okay. We had a deacon once that wore sandals with white socks. He's not a deacon anymore, but that doesn't have anything to do with his sandals or his white socks. Throw off the old, put on the new, and walk like Jesus this week. We will have the opportunity. That's the scary part about these kind of messages. I know this from my own personal experience. We talk about it, and it's going to happen this week. Somebody's going to test your ability to be kind this week. Somebody's going to test your ability to be compassionate this week. May have already done that this morning. Somebody's going to test our ability to forgive like Jesus forgives. But it's okay. Because we're putting on the new garments, we're putting on the new life, and we want to look more like Jesus every day. Because some people... That may be the person we're kind to. It may be the person we're compassionate with. It may be the person we forgive. The only real clear example of Jesus they're going to see this week is us in that moment. So let me look the best I can for Jesus and be kind and compassionate and forgiving, which ultimately becomes loving. But you know, loving has become such an esoteric word these days. It's become, it's become such a concept of emotion and, and not a whole lot of depth and not a whole lot of grasp. As a matter of fact, most people can't even imagine um, what it really means because they say that about everything. I've heard nothing this week except how much I love pizza. The only thing this congregation got out of last week's message was that I had ordered pizza last Saturday night. So I'm hesitant to tell you I ordered pizza last night, but it wasn't as good as last Saturday night's. Um, but I love pizza. But we're not talking about that kind of love. Therefore, he says in verse 1 of chapter 5, be imitators of God. Now, you've got to connect this with the prior verse. What he's talking about here is that kind, that compassion, and that forgiveness. Be imitators of God. And he reminds us as who we are as dearly loved children, as people who walk. That literally means our lifestyle is in love. As Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. This isn't sentiment. Verse, chapter five, verse one and two, we're not talking about sentiment. We're not talking about feeling good. We're not talking about laughing when things go wrong on a date. No, this is, this is love that is willing to pay any price for the recipient of our love. Not for the love we experience, not for the love we have, but for the recipient of our love. We're going to talk a lot about this when we get to the one on marriage. I already told you I'm dreading it. But to me, one of the greatest challenges, and I'll just give you a, a kind of an insight up front, one of the greatest challenges is any kind of submission comes out of the context of sacrificial loving. Honestly, I personally say this, and I know 
I know already some of you are going to think, well, yeah, because, but you're on that side of the equation. Of course you would say that. I would rather submit than have to love the way Jesus loved. And Jesus loves not sentimental in the least. It is intentional. It is strategic. It is the ultimate power move. He steps in when we're at our worst and intervenes and makes us our best. All the cost is his. There is no cost to me. It didn't cost me anything to become a Christian. Because, you know, people say, well, yeah, but you gave up this, you gave up that, you could have done this. Yeah, I could have done all kinds of different things if I hadn't become a Christian and if God hadn't called me into to ministry. But none of those, none of those even compare, they're not even on the books compared to the depth of Jesus' love for me. I have never made a sacrifice that even remotely begins to compare to the sacrifice of Jesus. And yet that's what we're called in verses one and two, to love as imitators of God, which means we love the exact same way God loves, sacrificially, because we're his children, because this is our way of life, and because Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering, something beautiful that God does take joy in. Now, I don't have to earn my salvation, but God takes joy in my salvation. And sometimes that's, that gets kind of confusing because, again, in our personal relationships, a lot of times we are trying to and attempting to earn that person's affection, earn that person's happiness with us. We don't have to do that with God. His happiness is as deep as it needs to be already. His joy in us is as deep as it needs to be already, but it compels me. If I can do and love in a sacrificial way that creates a fragrant offering, creates something beautiful for Jesus to experience as a result of my new life, then those are the clothes I want to wear. That's the fashion I want to be known for. It's to be loving, not just kind, not just compassionate, not just forgiving, but loving and loving sacrificially. Here it gets a little PG-13. Just about everybody in here qualifies but sexual immorality in verse three, and any impurity or greed, and the greed does not refer to money in this case, it refers to the extent of lust that rages in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. But sexual immorality, any impurity and greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints, which is why the text is going to be the power move of being respectable, but interestingly enough, also appreciative. It's respectable appreciation. And so as a result of living respectable as a believer in Christ, not the trends of society or culture or the internal drives physically in any given person, but living respectable and putting away these are the old rags we're getting rid of, the obscene and foolish talking and crude joking, which are not suitable, not respectable, but rather giving thanks. And that ought to catch our attention for a brief moment. What do you mean, giving thanks? He just told us. He told us, guys, the jokes you're going to say in the field tomorrow are probably inappropriate. He's telling us that the conversations we have that go to a sexual place that, that propagate and encourage lust and the issues that we struggle with sexually are probably inappropriate. He's telling us, guys, if we do things or say things that's inappropriate and demeans our spouses or wives in any way, it's, in, it's, it's inappropriate. It's not respectable. He's telling us to do all of that. And then he concludes, while you're doing that, be thankful. And here's why. Sex isn't everything. 
It is highly overrated in our culture and in our society. It is not everything, and it will not nearly fulfill as much as you want to believe that it will fulfill. It's probably the most highly overrated physical action known to mankind. Animals don't even mess with it. There's no emotion tied. There's no sentiment tied to it in any way whatsoever. We're the only ones that get the pleasure of it. But here's why we give thanks. It was given to us as a gift. Sex is a gift. Here's the part we forget sometimes even after we become Christians. It was given to us as a gift with parameters to best utilize and enjoy that gift. And the parameters are actually very, very simple. The parameters are simply to have sex within your God-ordained, church-recognized marriage. It's a gift for you and your wife. It's a gift worth waiting for until you have a wife or until you have a husband. It's a beautiful gift. It's a treasured gift. It's a cherished gift. It, it is a significant gift. It's the, one of the most wonderful things apart from salvation that God has given us. He designed us for this purpose. But like everything else in the garden, when we sinned, the purpose got perverted and the purpose got off track. And now Paul's reminding us, look, being obscene about it, making jokes about it, being obsessed with it, being obsessive and greedy about it, being um, so callous to any sense of respectability that it's, it's a thought process of anything, anywhere, anyone, all of that misses the fact that it was given as a gift. And I know, some, some are gonna disagree with me on this, and that's perfectly fine. It's even, not even just for procreation. I've met Christians over the years that's like, well, no, we only have sex to have kids. That's the boringest, most lousy reason to have sex. The kids will never leave. <laughs> sex, you've got until some point in time when you don't anymore. And embrace it, treasure it. God gave it as a gift. He designed us in the right relationship between one natural created by the hand of God man and one natural created by the hand of God woman to be together in matrimony, in marriage, in intimate relationship with one another, to cleave, to bond, to bind their hearts, not just their bodies, in that moment which helps the rest of the moments. That's why couples fight and then have sex because it helps cure and heal. God gave it as a gift, but the abuse of the gift is so inappropriate, it's beyond description. It is the coarse way that he describes it here. It's immorality, it's impure, it's greedy, it's, it's lustful, it's, it's just not even to be discussed among you. We don't need to behave like the rest of the world. Do away with the obscene. Do away with the foolish. Do away with the crude. And wait and then embrace the gift of that intimacy. And to do that, we need to take the next step and we need to do the last thing here. And that's to be evasive, careful, cautious in some of our alliances. 
In verse five, he says, no one recognized this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy, lustful person, remember that greedy refers to the desire for sex, who is an idolater because they've let that become a higher priority than their relationship with God and they've denied the gift. They've now put the gift aside and ignored it and, and let it collect dust and let it, you know, and they're living with it in, inappropriately, non-respectful, does not have an inheritance because anytime anything becomes a God to us other than God himself, we lose that relationship not in terms of our salvation as believers, but in terms of the inability. This is one of the things you have to trust and hand over to God. He does not have inheritance. These are unbelievers, is what he's essentially saying in verse five. These are the way unbelievers behave. So let no one deceive you with empty arguments. God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. I am not on social media. I was on social media once at the direction of one of our communication directors. Did it for several years. And truthfully, it was so exhausting. I went to him and said, I don't think this is benefiting the church at all. Had over 7,000 followers. And I said, I'm done. I don't have time to maintain all these artificial relationships. I just want to be with our people here. And got off of it. I am not an expert, but I'm not stupid either. And I don't not watch the news or see things on television, YouTube, in the same way every single one of you does. I'm not oblivious to what's going on in the world. But just like you, every day I make a decision that that's not who I want to partner with. And so I make a decision to not watch certain types of movies. I make a decision to not buy certain brands of clothing. I make a decision to not engage in or carry on conversations with certain people. Because the Apostle Paul says, what I need to put on here is an evasive alliance and I need to recognize the principle of Jesus that we as believers in Christ can be unequally yoked and being unequally yoked with the world means that we are not doing and not being the people God wants us to do. Just simply don't participate. You'll be better off for it. You'll be better off in the end because the advice they're giving leads only to destruction. Paul says it bluntly. This is these who follow in these pathways, these empty arguments and these things that they're trying to, God's wrath is coming on the disobedient. It is not easy and I'm not saying it is. Especially when we are called and we have been providentially given this time of history to live, it is not easy easy. I would not want to be in junior high or high school today. I thought it was bad when I was there. Uh, it got to stop the partnerships. If somebody on TikTok is encouraging you to look at things you don't need to look, then guess what? You don't need to be there. And they don't need to be your friend. If somebody at school's doing that, you don't need them. You can be kind, you can be compassionate, you can be loving, but you can also have integrity. It was a gift from God. 
how we treat that gift and who we partner with in that gift makes a difference on who we are in Christ. So love the gift. Look forward to the gift. Anticipate. But the gift is only for one person. One person. Only one person deserves your body. Only one person deserves your mind. Only one person deserves your heart. And I don't care how many followers you lose. Save it all for that one person. And you can celebrate it as much and as often as you want to. We're Christians. We're not pagans. We're not animals. And so we are careful and cautious in our partnerships in every aspect of our lives because it makes a difference. And when you get old, you'll be glad because you have memories and wonderful experiences instead of regrets.